Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes. It's the very end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. It's uh, 5, 18 through 20, and 6, 1 through 7. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. All of you all who are in the gathering place on that side of the building, we love you. We're glad you're here, and I'm gonna, we're gonna get back there. I'm gonna get back there to see you during, uh, greeting time. Thank you all for being willing to help us make the space here workable. So now we have open space here, so now we need to fill this space up. As we, um, prepare our own building gets underway, our building project is moving along. I want to reiterate again that uh, in about a month, on October 21st, right after the service, we'll be going down to our land, which is a few minutes that direction and that direction, and we will pray over it together. And then the next Sunday, we will be receiving um, pledge cards, and then from there, we'll be giving lots of information about what and you know, where we're going with the building project. But again, it's moving ahead full speed. So, um, I, uh, have known Christine, who gave the last presentation, the creative award winner for, uh, Sunday school presentations, uh, growth. I've known her a long time, and knowing that she's, uh, she and her whole family are aficionados of Dr. Seuss, I figured she might pull something like that. So, here's my take on all of Ecclesiastes. If under the sun is all you've got, then all you do is all for naught. But your smallest act that God directs endures forever with divine effects. Ta-da! Okay. So, so, one of the things is I've taken mission trips over uh, my life, short-term mission trips. I, I've, I'm always, uh, I always enjoy them. I always don't want to go because I know how physically taxing it's going to be, especially as I get older. But I also know how um, much it's going to change my perspective at the end. When we heard a few weeks ago the students who came back from Philippi, West Virginia, that was the theme of 
you know, I, I went and, and things changed over the week I was there. And I can tell you that the circumstances are difficult. That you go and you sleep in not your own bed and maybe not a bed at all. And you're hot and you're sweaty and you're working hard. And something about that begins to change your perspective. So one of the things that's remarkable to me is I've taken youth groups and teenagers and all that on the these trips is that they start off just like teenagers now every day where uh you know I'm wrestling to you know could you know my teenager I love him I think you're in that room my teenager and I love you to death but you've given me permission to say this so I'll say if I remove from them uh you know a, a few minutes of uh of time on the TV screen you know sometimes I get I know you can't relate to this anybody has teenagers but I get a little bit of uh pushback but when on a mission trip when I ask them to do something much more difficult we remove, you can't get electronics, they don't have Wi-Fi, the perspective begins to change and you begin to realize you shed away all the stuff that just encompasses our lives. And the trick has always been you get back and you're on, you're, you're spiritually feeling connected. You've worshipped every day. You have set aside time for God. You're, you're serving other people. And all the difficult circumstances somehow don't matter at all. And perspective has begun to shift. So here's the question. How do we live that way here when we're commuting, when we're in our beds, when we're in our homes, when we've got, how do we live with a different perspective? It's, it's got to be a, a discipline. You ha, you, it doesn't, for most people, come naturally. My, one of my closest friends does this. He really enjoys going to funerals. One day I was, uh, years ago, I was doing a funeral of somebody of, as a favor, nobody here, but somebody, um, well, of course you wouldn't be here if I was doing your funeral, but it wasn't, it was a relative of a, sort of a friend of a friend, I was doing it as a favor for someone, and my friend, my college roommate, Tim, many of you know him, he, he shows up at the funeral. I guess we'd been talking the week before and I told him I was just doing this funeral. He shows up from his job, it was about a half hour drive, and he shows up in his suit, and he, I watch him in the back of this, you know, funeral home, whatever, and I was like, wait, you don't know this family, you don't know, and he says, I, I really like going to funerals. I'm like, dude, you're so weird. <laughs> and he says, no, in our culture, it's my only perspective shifter. I work a job at a, you know, high tech corp, and I'm doing sales, and I'm just in this northern Virginia world. And he says, I go to every funeral I can because nobody talks about job stuff and, oh, they have maybe, I mean, he says only the funerals where it's not very positive, they talk about their business accolades. He says they don't talk about all the peripherals. They get back to what's important. I tell you all these things because the book of Ecclesiastes, there's two things we're going to do today. He's hammering the, the preacher, the, 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 the narrator, so to speak, of Ecclesiastes. He's hammering on themes that we see over and over again. And in wisdom literature, it's so frustrating because if you, we try to read it like a narrative. 
Have you ever tried to read Proverbs like a narrative? And, you know, one verse you're just talking about something, and then two verses later it's a completely different subject. And people just take one proverb a day because it just shifts all over. It's like trying to kind of read the phone book and thinking it's like a novel. It just it doesn't make sense because that's not what wisdom literature was intended to do. It's not a narrative. It's not a story. And here in Ecclesiastes, where we're reading here, and I'm, I'm going to move more quickly because these themes are over and over again, he's talking about the the brevity of life. And he's talking about how it makes sense to look at things like funerals as markers of perspective. So let's look at just three verses in this section of Ecclesiastes in this first thing where he, he sort of talks about that. So if we can look at those three. This is earlier on. It says, The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive the same event happens to them all. What's that? Their life ends. You go, well, I, I was, I did really well. I was really a smart person. I was really thrifty. And this other person lived foolishly and they weren't thrifty. And what happens to them both? They're dead. Now you can look and say, well, that's really despairing. That's, I mean, that's, so what does it matter, right? This has been the whole theme of Ecclesiastes. Hebel, smoke, vanity, futility. It says, so this is the, this is the theme. So the next one. For of the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fools, hammering these themes. Okay? Let's look at this next verse. Because it says the heart of the wise, and this is part of what I had you read this week, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. See, my friend Tim, I think, has a sense of how do we gain perspective. The heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. So what the, the counsel of Proverbs is, be really careful because here's, here's the thing we have to remember in our culture is that we glorify in this culture the, the, the sort of let's, let's get ha- stay happy. Let's not think about sad things. Let's not think about hard things. Let's, let's just think about fluffy things. That's, that's glorified. That's what we tend to do. Don't believe me? Just, Turn on a random channel of your television set on, you know, most shows, reality TV shows or all these things or anything really, and we're focusing on things that the scripture teaches and the book of Ecclesiastes in particular teaches are going to be gone, are meaning, ultimately meaningless. So, in contrast, here's what the, the preacher says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. And so, as we're going to actually, we're going to finish, I think we'll finish Ecclesiastes next week because we're going to turn a corner here. We're going to cover a lot of ground and turn a corner of this because let's, let's get one thing really clear about being Christians. We do not read the Old Testament without Jesus. Okay? Let's be really clear on that because many people say, well, you know, the Old Testament, just, just, you know, Genesis through Malachi, it's just, uh, you know, these things, and whew, I'm so glad to get to Matthew because finally we get some Jesus, you know, in here. No. Jesus is the hero of the story. He is from Genesis to Revelation, the hero of the story, and we have to see how why Ecclesiastes points us to Jesus. And we're going to look at that. We're going to begin to turn that corner this morning because if we don't get that, this book can be confusing and frustrating.
because we'll look and say, well, if it doesn't matter if I'm a good parent or a bad parent, a good worker, a bad worker, save, I'm all going to die anyway. Under the sun, remember my cute little poem, if under the sun is all you've got. So this is why for those of us who think, well, I'm just going to do the best I can here and grab the gusto and do it all. If this is all you've got, then that's all true. For the Christian, this is not all we have. Okay? So, let's begin to turn. I'm going to turn you to a couple things in the New Testament. If you've got your Bible, I'll, put a, I'll ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The themes of Ecclesiastes have been life doesn't make sense. And I'm going to add apart from the Lord. 1 John 2.17 says this, The world is passing away along with its desires. That's Ecclesiastes. The world's passing away. It's going to be gone. That's not the end of this verse. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You are created to be eternal and live with the God, the resurrected life. You are not created to be Hebel and pass away. We are created in God's image. See, the reality story of the Bible is that we are created from the beginning to live in relationship with God. Sin has marred it. Jesus has redeemed it. Reality is a funny thing. People, you know, you, some people just want to complain about it. Some people want to ignore it. We live in a culture that wants to just scream that it, reality is unfair and that's you know, my reality and your reality is, you know. Reality is what reality is. You can complain about it or ignore it all you want to, but it, it you know, my advice would be to, um, you, you, you may not like it, but changing it's harder than you think. And so the Bible says to live wisely in an unbroken, in a broken and unpredictable world. That's the way we deal with reality. So, life doesn't make sense apart from God. We turn to that first John 2.17 and we see that, oh, it is passing away, but what I do in the Lord endures forever. Now, if you've got your Bible, I will invite you to turn to Romans. This is chapter 8. Verses 18 through 20. And here's where we're going to begin to really turn a corner of why you must read Ecclesiastes in light of the cross and in light of Jesus. We've been through five or six weeks where everything is smoke. It's temporary. Um, we see glimpses of eternity in the heart of man, but it's pretty bleak. And without the Lord, I don't know how many times I've said this, but without the Lord, life is Life would be very, very bleak and depressing for me. I don't know about for you, but I, I just find that without God, I'm not sure how I'd make it. And I think that's true for most people. So, in Romans 8, this is, I will call it Ecclesiastes in light of the cross. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Ecclesiastes talks about all the suffering of this present time, all the things that don't happen, all the, the crushing devastation that, that happen. And he says, 
I consider, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time, the life of Ecclesiastes, aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's us. Daughters and sons of God. We're His children. Listen to this verse. This is pivotal verse, Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Okay, what word have I been hitting on over and over and over and over again? Right? The Hebrew word, right? Hebel, right? I've been hitting on this every week for a purpose. That's the word for smoke or mist or doesn't last. Hebel. So, he says, so how does this play in? Well, when the when they translate, the Septuagint is the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. And so we get a picture of the words that are used and what they mean in the New Testament and how it compares to the Old Testament. This Septuagint, written about 200 B.C., is a great tool to, to see how the New Testament reads in the Old. Because the word, mariotes, is the word for futility. For the creation was subjected to futility. Would you care to guess what word they use in Ecclesiastes 37 times over and over again? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, or futility, or hebel, mariotes. It's only used in wisdom literature. It's only used for this word. It's the exact same picture from Greek to Hebrew. So listen to what this says. For the creation was subjected to this hebel, this mist, this meaninglessness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And we're going to get to who that is next week. Because this is important to see God's sovereignty over because it was, and we'll unpack this next week, but who subjected it in hope. What? What? God somehow has a hand in this, in this this fleetingness, this futility. He, it's subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God. All right, try to give you a little picture of what's happening here. God has designed this world to be temporary and smoke without Him. Subjected to futility, subjected to the hebel, whatever, the creation has been subjected to it. But what God does is redeem it. Look again at what it says. He... The creation itself is going to be set free from this bondage to corruption, this meaninglessness. And you and I get to be part of this process now. Here's what I mean by that. Guys, you and I, we come in contact with a world of people who don't know why they're alive. They're not sure what their purpose is. They're doing the best they can. And the way they handle most people without God handle reality is they just keep their head down. Please don't think about death and don't, I mean, you want to be a party killer? Talk about the last funeral you went to to just get a nice perspective on life. That doesn't really usually stimulate discussion. People don't want to think about or deal with the fact that the meaning of life is not found in all these things that 
we and so many people, we tend to busy ourselves with. We get the chance to participate in stuff that endures forever. Second part of my little poem, the smallest act that God directs endures forever with divine effects. For some of you, if you're changing diapers, or if you're wiping noses, or if you're participating in things in your job or in your world that you just think, why? I just, I, there's no point in this. Yes, there is. Everything you do that is in obedience to the will of God, obedience to His command for you, is going to last forever. It is written forever. It's, and you may think this is just the smallest thing. The tone of your voice you use with your children or your spouse or your co-workers. The word of encouragement you share with someone. Your choice to forgive rather than hold a grudge. Your choice to do the exact honest thing when no one would know if you just skirted the truth a little bit. The way that we can walk into and participate in God's character in a thousand ways rather than being smoke that's gone forever. And you may think, well, nobody knew that. Nobody even saw that. Your heavenly Father, not one sparrow falls to the ground, but that He's not aware of everything, every word, every thing that's going on inside of us, He is aware and He calls us to reflect Him. And instead of smoke, it becomes solid substance. What a privilege. We're going to unpack this more because the New Testament actually speaks a lot about this and a lot about the theme of Ecclesiastes. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, I will call him the narrator because he's not really the author. The author speaks about Koboleth, the, the narrator of Ecclesiastes. And without Jesus, he didn't have the privilege that you and I do of living on this side of the cross. And he says, it's just nothing new under the sun. There's nothing, it's, it's all been written before, it's all done. And Jesus completely wipes this out. He says death is the end, right? It's the limiter. It just happens to everybody. It's going to happen so it doesn't matter. What he didn't know and didn't realize was, no, it isn't. Because someone rose from the dead and changed everything. And because God says, behold, all things are passed away. Everything becomes new. It's not old. It's not done. Jesus changes everything. Whether you let Him, whether you and I will let Him change our hearts, our families, our interactions, this is the walk of obedience. Every small act that God directs, that we act, endures forever with divine effects. Lord, Let's pray with me. Lord, I, 
I feel in some ways like um, a man who, seeing dimly in a glass, is trying to speak something that I know in my heart and I see, but I feel um, I feel like without your Holy Spirit's communication, it's just going to be not clear. And so, Lord, I ask that as we look together at how Your Word and how Your life impacts every corner of our lives, how You're written in the pages of Scripture, would You make clear and bring clarity to our worlds and to our lives. Lord, we live under the sun now, but that's not the only place we live. You have redeemed us and You've asked us to live with You and so we can be seated in heavenly places with, with Christ. And I ask You that we would give, Lord, due attention to our perspectives being altered and changed as we see that life and everything we do matters. Everything we do endures, Lord. It, it does matter so much because You've called us to live differently. Before we close in worship, I just want to, in response to the Scripture we read last week that I'll read again now, I just want to take a minute of, of silence and just ask that the Lord you be open to the Spirit of God and the Word of God speaking to you. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Draw near to listen. It's better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. They don't know they're doing evil. Don't be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For He's in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not just giving us better lives, but giving us new lives that you've called us from death into life. So, Lord, raise us up so that we live the life you've called us to live. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.